The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Newton, for a fantastic reading. And um, you look amazing. You look the part, doesn't he? Very regal. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. It's, it is such a, um, a privilege to be here and to be with people who I know well over many decades. It's scary to say that, isn't it? But also people that I don't know. But I, I just, before I start, I just wanted to express to you as a church um, just what I've felt just even being here already is just such a, um, apart from just a warmth and kindness, which is hard to find. So thank you so much, everybody that's already been kind to me. But just um, a real sense of your devotion for God and your passion for him and your faith that the Lord is moving in and through you and through the church and uh, it's no surprise to me that a church that Hilary and Dash lead and uh, Lewis and the other pastors and leaders that it would be a kind church and a godly church so um, I'm already feeling incredibly blessed. While we were in the um, prayer meeting and then in the worship today as well, um, People are saying things, I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing, that's amazing, that's, that's confirming what I hope to bring today. Um, but yeah, just I feel like the Lord is really moving already, speaking to us. So, um, so as we already know, some of you know me, um, others don't, but I thought I'd just introduce myself a little bit, just say something about myself and uh, where I grew up. Um, and some that know me may not know these stories either, but I grew up in a town called uh, Burke. Um, it's sort of known as the back of Burke, and we have a, a slide. That's the road to Burke. I'm sorry it's a bit fuzzy, but honestly, it is like the middle of nowhere. And I went back, I grew up there from the age of about seven through to 19 when I got married to Ken and moved to Sydney. But so I feel that feels like, even though there were other towns before, this feels like the town I grew up in. And I went back not so long ago um, to visit for a wedding and um, I thought I was never going to get there, honestly. <laughs> you just keep driving down that road and it is straight when you get from, you know, from Dubbo onwards, it's straight. And now with the drought... There's probably no trees left, but it's that red soil and the blue sky. And even though it's just so um, insignificant, in a sense, it gets into you. And every time I see that colour soil and the sky, it it, um, it does something for me. So that's where I grew up. It, um, it's insignificant in the sense that it's in the middle of nowhere. It's significant for a lot of wrong reasons. I don't know whether you've probably heard about Burke, the racial issues there over the years have been quite significant to the point that I read as I was finding this photo that it was voted amongst the most dangerous places in the world to live, um, which is quite something. Um, but on the flip side of that, there's some really cool things that happened in Burke while we were there and I wasn't aware of, but things that were really significant. So the next photo shows um, these beautiful little nuns arriving in Burke in 1969 and you might notice 
The one in the middle is Mother Teresa. So Mother Teresa arrived in Burke and established the missionaries of charity that worked with the Aboriginal, the Indigenous people and are still there. And those little nuns used to ride because they lived on one end of Burke and and where they spent most of their day was on the other end. And so they'd ride past my house on their little bikes every day. And I had no idea at that stage who Mother Teresa was. But here they are, they're still there today, still caring, just giving. Mother Teresa felt that Burke was significant enough of a place with the the Indigenous population and the um, isolation of it to really sow a work and still doing incredible work out there. Another amazing person that loved Burke was um, Fred Hollows. And there he is there with his beautiful wife, Gabby, and uh, an Aboriginal lady. He came to Burke in the early 70s. And um, he's an incredible man. For those who know anything about him, it says that um, his health program um, halved preventable Indigenous blindness. So he's done amazing work. He's buried in Burke. And just as an aside, as a name dropper, I'm actually related to Fred Hollows. He's my cousin fourth removed, I think. So, um, but he was there. When we'd go shopping, him and his wife would be in the only supermarket in Burke. So, um, yeah, pretty cool, isn't it? Little tiny town, nothing much happening except the great people of the world loved it. And uh, the final one, another great person of the world is the Queen who um, arrived. It was interesting, little caption, it said they kept her gaff-prone Duke away from the Aboriginal people because he's <laughs> renowned for saying the wrong thing. So he wasn't, he wasn't around. He did come, but he didn't have much to say apparently. But there's the Queen coming to Burke and I wasn't even there. I was already living in Sydney, so I missed out on seeing the Queen. Um, but just some interesting things, I guess, about me and reflecting back, thinking the town I grew up in, in some ways, was very insignificant, in other ways, incredibly significant. Um, and you guys may or may not have known that about me. Um, but I just wondered, it's not usually something we talk about, but I just thought as a, a little icebreaker, just for one minute, um, why don't you turn to the person beside you and tell them where you were born or where you grew up and anything that might be significant about that? Just just very quickly. You just do what you're asked to do. It's awesome. I just learned that Valerie grew up in a town called Seven Kings in London. Essex in London. So that's pretty cool. Seven Kings is pretty cool. Where we grow up is is um, the places we grow up are significant. And, um, and I hope you've learned something about each other. It's very cool. Today we're looking, um, I understand that your, your series, Good News, Great Joy, uh, you're following the Advent candles. Is that them over there? There they are. Uh, today's one is covered in the cone of silence. Is that right? <laughs> For the insignificance. But um, there it is. And it's the candle. It's called the Bethlehem candle. So we're focusing today, following that, the um, 
Yeah, the Bethlehem candle, which is focusing on uh, the fact that God loves the insignificant. So we're going to have a look at that. And uh, thank you to Newton who read um, the passage for us today. I'm reading a book at the moment uh, by a lady by the name of Rachel Held Evans, and it's called Inspired. It's an amazing book. But she, when it comes to her take on gospel stories, she says the best way to explain the good news is by telling a story. And really that, that's the good news um, written by Luke in the form of a story. And it's just a very, when you think about it, it's a very simple story. He doesn't really embellish much. He just gives us the simple facts. Um, but what we want to do is dig into that a little bit more because the, in the details is an incredible richness within that. So that's what we're going to have a look at this morning. And um, I thought of, I'm sure there's lots of things Luke wants to communicate, but I, I just picked up on three things that he wants to tell us about. And the first thing is that it was a requirement. The story happened because it was just simply a requirement. Now, some historians um, question the timing around Luke's account of it and this idea of the worldwide census, but Luke has it as the reason why Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, because they had to. They didn't have any choice. Caesar Augustus called for a census, so he wanted to get, for whatever reason, he wanted to get the details of who was around, who was in what families, how old they were, etc. Um, but beyond that, so he thought he was acting on his own account. Mary and Joseph thought they were acting because they had to, but beyond that, God was moving. And God used this census, the edict of the census, to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from where they were living in Jerusalem to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. It's quite profound. And so Caesar unknowingly played a part, in an important part, in this story. And um, it's just so cool because the story is so simple and yet when we understand it from a God perspective and what you know, what it's really communicating to us. It's, it's so much deeper and so much richer. Have you ever seen that movie, um, Shawshank Redemption? And isn't it, um, I remember, look, I don't like violent movies and all the way through I was whinging about having to watch it until it came to the end and I understood the plot. It's like, whoa, you, didn't, you hated it too? Oh, I haven't seen it. I won't tell you about it. But you've got to, you've got to, it really is worth watching it at the end. Um, so it's this incredible plot that's being set up that God's setting up. And he simply, he moves on the heart of a, of, of a Caesar to uh, call for a census. Mary and Joseph respond. And there they are in this place. Deeper than that, the second point is it was prophesied. So even beyond what um, was happening at that time, it, it, it went way, way back. And, and God had spoken to, uh, sorry, God made a covenant, as we know, with David as king. And he said, I will establish your throne forever. And that was a thousand years before this story happened. In 2 Samuel, God made a covenant. And so from that point on, the, the nation of Israel understood that their Messiah was going to come through David's line. And interestingly, Bethlehem was David's town where David grew up. So it was set up there. Um, then a few hundred years later, the prophet Micah um, prophesied over Israel and spoke this incredible prophecy 
when you think it's just so beautiful I put it up on the slide and I'd like to just read it for you but you Bethlehem though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old from ancient times Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. It's such a beautiful prophecy in and of itself But when you realise that it was written 735 years before Jesus was born, such incredible detail in it that it could have been written on the day he was born, after he was born, there's enough detail there to just think, well, I mean, what was Micah understand? Like, what did Micah even understand? I'm sure he understood part of it, but not fully what what he was saying. But God had promised that a saviour would come from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem in the city of David. And that's exactly what happened. But I was also thinking about, isn't it interesting that God picked Bethlehem? I mean, he could have even had David live in a more significant city for a start. And then for all of that to say, well, from Jerusalem. But, But he didn't. He chose how long ago, how many... Eternities ago, did God choose Bethlehem, which, as Micah says, was the, the, the smallest among the clans of Judah and, the most, and, and also an insignificant town just next to Jerusalem. People talk about Sydney. They don't often talk about Wollongong. It's like you talk about, sorry for anyone who maybe grew up in Wollongong. I know Wollongong is becoming very trendy now, but... Um, Bethlehem, it was the insignificant little town beside Jerusalem and God chose it as the location for the birth of the one who literally changed the world. Isn't that interesting that God chose something so insignificant for something so significant? Interestingly, the prophecies around uh, the Messiah's birth were also very well known. So the, 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 um, the nation of Israel, the people, the Jewish people, they, they knew Micah's um, prophecy. They, they understood that and uh, along with that other prophecies, they knew it. And so in, uh, when we come to the New Testament, um, Matthew 2, 6 to 6, I've got. Mm, that can't be right. Anyway, <laughs> 6 and 7. Um, Around then, when Herod's trying to find out what's going on, um, the, the, the leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders, they already knew it. They said, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then in John seven forty two. Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? So they knew these prophecies. They were ready for them to a certain degree. They were expecting the Messiah to come from uh, Bethlehem. I was thinking about 
prophetic words and Hill brought a prophetic word today and I imagine for those of you who that word was um, for you, when you heard that prophetic word, um, and I know for myself, when, when God speaks to me and gives a prophetic word to me, something I'm going through or something I'm about to go through, it brings firstly confidence that what I'm going through um, is going to be okay. I had a prophetic where the other day somebody said to me, because I've got, you know, some really significant stuff going on in my extended family and a beautiful woman at church just gave me a word and she said, you know, I just feel like, um, and she had an image of, of what, I just got an image. She said, does it, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to me, but does it mean something to you? And I felt at that time it was just so comforting to me and it just gave me confidence to go through what I'm going through because it's going to be okay. And secondly, that the Lord is in control. And today, we heard, I heard it so many times in the worship, which is so beautiful, that the Lord is so, so kind to us, isn't he? He's so kind. And so when I get the odd occasion where the Lord speaks to me or I get a prophetic word or, or, or again, give it, uh, have something for someone else and they give they feedback just thank you, that means so much. It just gives me confidence and, it, and, it, and it's a sign that God is in control and that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And uh, the Lord is just so kind to us and he was so incredibly kind to the, the, the nation of Israel and then right through to follow through. So this prophetic all the way along, they understood that Bethlehem, the town that was insignificant, is going to be something really significant. Um, but as much as they knew they were expecting the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem, they were not expecting him to be born in the place that he was born and in the way he was born. And I think that was something that, why they largely missed it. In verse 7 it says, there was no guest room available for them. So it was full. Bethlehem the town that had been prophesied about for thousands of years, they get them there, God gets them there, and there's nowhere for them. And, and it's incredible that God orchestrated the events for that to happen. There was not even like, okay, well, there actually was a simple little room. That would have been good enough for me. Like, wouldn't it? You know, just a simple little room. Yeah, it, was, it happened to be available and that's... But there was nothing. I mean, that's just, we, I think sometimes we sanitise the story, don't we? And we have this beautiful silhouette of this lovely manger, and the baby's laying in the manger, and it's all so calm, silent night, holy night. But in actual fact, it was terrible. It was horrible for him. I, I was sitting the other day preparing this message, and I looked over at our beagle, Billie Jean, our beagle, who has three beds. She has a kennel outside, she has a day bed to lay outside and she has a bed inside which is double thickness. And as I looked at it, the sun was hitting the floor and it was just, it was like a nest of fur all around and I said, that is so disgusting. <laughs> and I spend my time vacuuming and yet it, I'm always deodorising her bed, spraying it. It still stinks and I don't know whether you've ever been... <laughs> She's a dog. I clean her food bowl. 
I'm the only one who cares that there's like this gungy rim around her food bowl and the cat and I'm the one that gets, you know, the paper towel because I don't want to use any towels or uh, anything that belongs to us. Clean it all. Try my best. But she's an animal and she gets dirty. And that's not a patch on cows and sheep and if you've ever been in stables with horses and they just they just go to the toilet everywhere that it stinks and there's flies and it's terrible and that's where Jesus was born in this insignificant place nobody wants a brand new baby in a cow trough in a manger and yet that's where Jesus was born and it was no accident why would the long-awaited Messiah come under such imperfect circumstances? Rachel Held Evans also said, she said, you know, we think about the good news story and we always go to the cross because, yes, that's where Jesus died for our sins. But the good news story starts with Jesus being born and that is such a significant thing for us that Jesus was born in such humble and basic um, circumstances um, in an insignificant town in a place where the least the animals are housed and why is that because God wants to show us that he really cares about the insignificant he could have it could have been another way but it was prophesied and it was planned for thousands of years that he would be born where he was born to show us that God cares about the insignificant. And it's part of this most incredible plot, better than the Shawshank Redemption. It's an elaborate story and yet it's the most intimate story all at once. Made me think about, I had to check with my son who uh, is much more learned than me. The word juxtaposition, there you go, I'm going to use it today, juxtaposition, hopefully it's in context, but it's this idea of, of almost like opposites at the same time and I just love, these are my two favourite verses together, Isaiah 53 two. he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, isn't God so cool? That he sends his son, nothing could have walked past. I don't know if you, the older I get, the more insignificant I feel I am. People just walk past and don't notice, don't even notice you, you know. And, and I, I, so I get that idea of nothing that would attract us to him. And it's not a nice feeling. And yet then the second verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The two of those things together, how awesome and incredible is God that he would come up with a plan like that. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This story is all about God's love for the insignificant. It's an incredible story. And we can, it's so humble, it's so simple that we can miss the profoundness of it. But God wants to communicate to us. 
Jesus didn't choose a comfortable and well-appointed setting for his arrival, just as he doesn't choose to make his dwelling in us because we are well-suited for it, with everything in perfect order. Bethlehem, we are Bethlehem. Our hearts are Bethlehem. And uh, that's the story of the gospel. We are as unfit as Bethlehem was to welcome the Saviour. And yet he came. And we praise him for that. Amen. What an amazing story. Um, I just wanted to finish going back to Burke. (laughs) We, um, and hopefully I will get through this without getting emotional. Hopefully by telling you I don't want to get emotional, I won't get emotional. Our story, please pray for me, Luke. Um, we, we, our family was in such a, um, emotionally we were in a mess in Burke growing up there. My mum, um, suffered with significant mental illness and she had what they termed then had suffered, I think she was heading for her fourth breakdown in 18 months. She really just was at the bottom of herself emotionally and mentally. And the impact of that on on our family was significant as children growing up in a home um, that felt largely very unsafe and very unsure. And um, my grandmother um, at the the time, um, at this particular time, had come to help care for the family and so she was just there just to support, just to help my mum. And um, she went to get some groceries and as she was coming back, this man appeared out of nowhere. He was not from Burke. He was, his name, and in case anybody has ever heard of David Street, he was a guy that was well known around the country areas. He had um, become a Christian. He was one of those radical evangelists. And somehow God led him to Burke. And he would just, he was the sort of guy that if he heard a police siren, he would chase the, the car, he would chase the ambulance, he would try and pray over dead people, he, you know, try and knock on the door of the ambulance to find out if he could pray for the person inside. He was just radical. Jesus had done such an incredible work in his heart that he just wanted to share it. He was just amazing. So my grandmother was coming back over, um, carrying the bags of groceries home. And he got to the door and he just said to her, can I, can I, just as she, she thanked him, said, thank you so much for helping us, for helping me. And he said, um, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And that's all he said. And as simple and as insignificant as those words may seem, for us, it was, honestly, it was the light, as I've said here, the, the, uh, the light of the knowledge of God's glory, just shining into the darkness in our heart. And my grandmother came inside and she said to, told my mum, she said, Jenny, I just want to tell you that I just met a man and he told us that Jesus loves us. And this guy had no idea that three days before that, my mum, or a couple of days, my mum had said she'd been in on her own and said, God, if you're real, then you show yourself because otherwise I'm out of here. Are you praying, Luke? (laughs) And God heard that prayer. And into an insignificant town and an insignificant street and an insignificant family, he shone his light. And from that day on, our family, gosh, we've been through a lot. We still are, but... My mum got up the next morning and she said, um, 
I'll never be the same. God met her in such a profound way and we never were the same. We found a little church in that town that became our community. We got to know Jesus and over time I got to know him and his light is in my heart and so this insignificant was touched by the incredible significance of Jesus Christ and his love in our hearts. And I know that you've got a story like that. What's your Bethlehem story? How did Jesus shine his light into your heart, into your circumstances, into where you were living? Because we've all got a Bethlehem story. And it's profound, it's amazing, and it reminds us that this incredibly significant God loved us so much that he sent his son to be born in Bethlehem, a nothing place, in a humble circumstance, so that we know that he knows us and we matter to him and we are so significant to him. It'd be really cool for you to think about your story today and remember how much he loves you. But beyond that, the Bethlehem candle, I think, wants to speak to us this Christmas um, and how, and, and maybe I was thinking, imagine if we, all of us, were able to be aware of this and just simply place, aim to place more significance on the insignificant. Been hearing today the incredible things that you do as a church with your food care and, and the schools and but beyond that we are bombarded, aren't we, with with need all around us. Whether it's on the TV, whether it's at, at work, people that are largely insignificant to us, they're not part of our world, and yet God wants to touch them. And imagine if we just allowed the Lord to move in our hearts so that we can reach out a little bit more to those people. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's, it's an organisation that you feel God will prompt on your heart to invest in. Um, Layla was just saying, you know, the, the work that she's doing. For every five boxes that are given to children overseas, one will come to faith. That's the highest percentage. That's 20% of people that are given a Operation Christmas Child Christmas box. Can we stretch a little bit more to invest into the insignificant in the world around us? Let's allow God to move our hearts and help us to be creative this Christmas. What can we do? Maybe it's not money. Maybe you don't have money. Maybe it's your neighbour. Maybe it's just kindness in telling someone Jesus loves them, like David Street did for us. And if we bring that back down a little bit more intimately, what about the people in our family or the people in our church family? You know those annoying ones? You think they're just insignificant. I just don't want to talk to them. I don't want to, I don't want to be bothered by those uncles and aunts that are just so draining. Or those people in church that you want to avoid. What about if we just place more significance on those people? And we just give them a little bit more time. We just spend a bit more time talking with them and, and being interested in them. The kindness that God showed us, can we show that to each other? And finally, 
I really believe the Lord wants to speak to the insignificance in us and to really touch us because often we feel so insignificant. We feel so, and it was prayed today, I think, by Lewis in the prayer meeting. We feel so unworthy. We're so aware that like Bethlehem, we are unfit to house God himself. And yet God wants to place, he wants to continue to place significance and value, remind us that that's what he sees in us. That's what he sees in you. And I just thought as as we finish, the Christmas carol, um, a um, a little town of Bethlehem, almost forgot it. Even that, in the light of all the carols, I was just interested that that's quite insignificant. I was looking for all the people who've done a recording of it, and there's almost none. Everybody's recorded Oh Holy Night. Everybody's recorded Silent Night. Only good old Amy Grant did a version of, you know, with the different tune, you know that one? It's an insignificant carol in a sense, and yet when we understand the significance of it, it brings a new meaning, doesn't it? So I'd like to just invite you to stand as a response that we could sing that together and just really be thankful to the Lord for it, for the, for the lyrics. And the fourth verse is a prayer. And let's make this our prayer today as simple as it is. Let's allow the, the, um, the lyrics and, and God's Holy Spirit just to touch us as we sing it. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.